like it, those words of that last one. Just as I am, thou will receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because of the promise, I believe. God does mighty things in our lives if we trust in him. We're into the third part of the Lord's table. And I tell you, when I've been studying this in a different way than just looking at it from the ordinance standpoint, but what was really transpiring at that table, I have, um, I guess I've just been amazed at the heart of Jesus at that table. When we look at what the Lord has really done, and we're going to be in Matthew again 26, starting with the 14th verse and reading on, when we really look at this, the people that are around him, the things that he was trying to accomplish, and um, the love that he had to have for those around. And we see all sorts of characters that are here. We see Peter who was going to deny him. We see Judas who was going to betray him. Uh, we see some of the apostles that ran and hid after uh, he was taken in to be crucified. Uh, we see all the faults and the failures of, of those that were nearest and dearest to them. And a lot of times he would talk to them and say, you know, uh, aren't, why aren't you getting this? Why aren't you getting this? And, uh, you know, we would look at them and say, you were walking with Jesus. You know, a lot of times it would be easy to say, well, if Jesus was here today, there's no way I would give into this or give into that. And there, here they were with him. And yet we see the faults and the failures. We see the, the shortcomings that they had. And yet we see the love of Jesus. And I want to talk about that today. There's, there's two little sayings down here at the bottom of your bulletin. When you learn how to sit at the table with your Judas, you'll understand what the love, you'll understand the love of Jesus Christ. When I read that, that just really, that really took me back to think about that. That while this uh, Lord's table was going on, while Jesus was there for the Passover, <coughs> excuse me, with his disciples... He knew, the heart of Jesus, or he knew the heart of Judas, and yet he sat there, and uh, there's a couple things we're going to talk about today that just really bring out, I believe, how the Lord wants us to respond to those that are around us. The second is, Jesus knew Judas' heart, and he still washed his feet, and uh, they had a, a, a foot washing um, uh, I don't want to call it a ceremony because it really wasn't a ceremony back in biblical times, but a foot washing event that took place. And Jesus, even though he knew Judas's heart, still washed his feet, still did a humbling task before him. And so as we go through these things, I guess in my heart, you know, I've been convicted of things. I've been I think shown things of my shortcomings of tolerance towards others or those that have hurt us or uh, those that maybe have betrayed us at some time in life and, and uh, you know are we filled with the love of Christ for them and so our scripture the first part of our scripture today in Mario 14 through 16 19 through 25 it says then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said 
What are you willing to give me if I deliver him, speaking of Jesus, to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time he sought the opportunity to betray him, or to betray Jesus. Skip ahead a little bit. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to himself, to the Lord, Is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man will indeed go just as it is written of him. But woe to the man that whom the Son of God is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, You have said it. There's a lot in that scripture. So as we're sitting there at the Lord's table, as we're sitting there at this Passover meal, Judas is sitting right there. Now I'm not sure what we've all covered in the last few weeks, but one of the things that we notice is that Jesus says, the one who dips in the bowl with me, his bread in the bowl with me, is the one who would betray And you know, to dip together, you have to be sitting next to somebody. So Judas probably had a spot uh, either right next to Jesus or right across from him at this time. In close proximity, anyways, Judas wasn't hiding himself from the Lord, even though he had gone and, and sought out these things. And isn't it just like our nature to seek out what we can get? Judas, he went to these chief priests and says, what are you willing to give me? We do this a lot in our life. What are you willing to give me to do this or to do that? There's a parable of a farmer, a rich farmer, and, and the end of it says, you know, what, is it, what good does it do if a man gains the whole world but yet loses his soul? Has it profit him anything? We spend our whole life maybe somewhere in the role of Judas. And I know that's sort of hard to understand or maybe hard for us even to reflect that, but many times we are there. We probably wouldn't look at it as selling out Jesus, but do we? Do we in our life pursue other things more than him? Is he our all in all? Have we decided to do this instead of something that the Lord has called us to do? Maybe the Lord has a calling on your heart. Maybe he has something for you to do but there's a better offer over here. See, when we really look in that mirror, as James says, we're going to see things that maybe we don't like about ourselves. Judas was bought for 30 pieces of silver. And so it says from the time that he got that money in his hand, he sought on how or the opportunity to betray Jesus. Now the other disciples, they did as Jesus had directed them. They had set up and prepared for the Lord's table. And it says when evening had come, they were eating. And Jesus drops this bomb on them. One of you is going to betray me. 
Now, I'm a type of a person that I try to put myself back in that situation. What if I was one of the twelve? What would I have been thinking? What would I have done? How would I have responded? What was the mood that was happening there? Can you imagine these twelve that are sitting around? And it says that many of them were sad. And each of them began to question themselves. Lord, is it I? We miss that sometimes. Why were they doubting themselves? Maybe they knew the frailty of their life. Maybe they knew the weakness of the flesh. Maybe some of them had thought about the same thing because things weren't always going according to the plan that man makes. Many of them could have been John, could have been Peter, could have been Andrew, could have been any of them that were sitting there. Lord, is it I? They wanted to know, Lord, is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you? If there's one thing that Jesus probably taught them was don't put your confidence in the flesh. And maybe they were wondering, am I going to be the one? Well, he answered and he said, you know, as it is written, it's going to go. One is going to betray me. I am going to be crucified. But he says, the one who dips the bread with me. Now he said this to all twelve and, and understand that Judas did this. He dipped with Jesus. But Judas even says, Rabbi, is it I? He knew that he had betrayed Jesus, but still he asked that question. Am I, is it me? Am I, maybe he was thinking, am I the only one? Or maybe he's wondering, is this really going to come to pass? Because if you are the Son of God, you know all things and can stop all things. Lord, is it I? And Jesus answered and said, you've said it. Basically, you know what is you, Judas. In John 13, 1 and 2, it says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put, uh, already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. See, we need to understand many times in our life we want to stand in our flesh. We have a, a hard time in this world surrendering ourselves or yielding ourselves or, or falling under submission even to God. God places his word that he gives us and it's in our heart. As we're born again believers, his spirit indwells us and he leads us into things and he says, you know, this is not good. This is what I would like for you. This is what you should stay away from. And, and he has these things as he works in our life. And, and we have trouble surrendering ourselves to him. But it says here that, that Satan, or the devil, was always already put into the heart. The, the deed had been done. The action was being followed upon and acted upon. Judas had already succumbed to his desire for something more. See, for some, and Judas, again, he was, the, he was the money keeper, and he always 
had some troubles with what, what, how Jesus did things financially. You know, when, when the, the lady broke the expensive perfume, he was concerned about, that's a lot of money. Do you know what we could do with that money? And Jesus says, you know what, what she's doing is much greater than what you're going to do with this money. When it came to feeding 5,000, a lot of times the question was brought up, how are we going to feed all these people? Now, I don't know if that was always Judas or who it was, but the question was always there, how are we going to do this? We know that he kept the purse. We know that, that money must have been something either he was gifted in or desired or uh, had a hold on his life. Jesus knew his time was at end. But I want to point out that Judas was still at the table. He didn't tell Judas, get out. He didn't come into the Passover and say, you're not worthy, leave. Judas sat by him, next to him. Jesus continued on with the Passover meal. It said he knew that his hour was coming and he loved those to the end. Now there can be all sorts of theological questions. We're not going to get into it. Whether you know Judas could have repented or turned around at any time. Did he have free will? Did he not have free will? You know we can we can wrangle over all those things. But what the Bible does say is that Judas made a choice. And his choice was to follow things of the world more than things of God. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed only needs to wash his feet, but this but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. Remember we talked about he, he went through a foot washing service and uh, uh, event. And when he came, he knelt down and was going to wash the disciples' feet. One of them said, oh no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. I'll wash your feet. Because that was a humbling thing to do. We talked this morning that, that some churches practice that. They have that, that uh, uh, foot washing service. And that's why I call it a service many times. I've been a part of those. It's a humbling thing to have. And, and when we look at things in the flesh, I can see sort of where the apostles were at. Jesus, you're not washing my feet. Let me wash your feet. But Jesus explained that this needed to be done. And the apostles said, you know, not just my feet, Lord. Cleanse me from within. I remember the first foot washing service I was at. And of course, when you, when you go to these, they're, they're a reverent thing, and they're tied in with a, a communion service many times. And it, it's not like you go there with dirty feet, you wash your feet before you go, you make sure you got clean socks and good shoes and, you know, all this. It's, it's a symbol of something that Jesus did. But I sort of positioned myself, I thought, in the flesh between one of my youth group and one of my elders. And I thought, well... My youth group member, he can, he can wash my feet and then I'll wash my elder's foot and so on and so forth. And guess what God did? He reversed the direction. And I had one of the elders wash my feet. And that was humbling to have this 70-some-year-old man kneel down and wash my feet. Jesus put himself in a position like that. The 
the, one of the customs of the foot washing was people would would walk on these dusty roads and, and it was it was comforting to them and it was it would help clean their feet but he's saying there's so much more to this it's not just about cleaning yourself because that's a bath we can be clean in a bath but he's talking about making yourself completely clean clean the way that the Lord would have you to be clean and knowing what Judas had done, he said, even though we've gone through the service and even though, you know, you can bathe yourself, you're not clean until Christ cleans you from within. That takes a decision on our part when we hear the voice of the Lord calling and he wants to purge us from these things. And let me tell you, it's a lifelong process. Some of us sitting in this room have been Christians our whole life probably since the time we can remember since a very young age and God should still be cleaning you and still purging things from you and still doing his work within you he is in me I read the scriptures and I, I hear him speak and it's like oh I got to deal with this in my life be it an attitude, be it a habit, be it a a, a priority whatever we can think of in our life we, we think of these things and, and God is dealing with us through his Holy Spirit that is inside of us that's why I tell people we're not to be somebody else's Holy Spirit but when the Lord speaks to us he wants to do a work in us and he's trying to tell them there, it's not just this action of bathing that is getting you clean, but it is yielding yourself to what Christ has. Mark 14 tells us this. Let's get up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. After the Passover, they sang the the, the psalms, the hymns, the, the praises to God. They went out to the garden and here they are. Remember Judas had gone his way now. <clears throat> and Jesus says, Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men, armed with swords and clubs, and they had been sent by the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and the elders. I find it interesting how religious people can act sometimes. This is the religious leaders that had sent these people, the leading priests. Jesus and his disciples and his apostles had never done anything aggressive or violent. They spoke of the love of God and to be saved. They proclaimed the scripture. But when these people came, they came armed with swords and clubs. They had an idea of what they were going to do. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. Sort of said, you know, when this happens, it's the time to move. He says, you will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, 
and gave him a kiss. I find this, again, part of the story very interesting from Jesus' perspective and maybe from some of the other apostles. I'm thinking that some of the other apostles might have had an idea that Judas was the betrayer because he had left early from the meal. Jesus had said, him who dips with me is the one who's betrayed. But we see Jesus still washed his feet. Jesus still ate with him, broke bread with him, discussed with him, had him next to him. And now we see as Judas approaches, and Jesus knows what it's for. It says Judas kissed him. The Lord allowed him in his personal space and to do something very affectionate, which would have been an embrace and a kiss. One of the things in in Bible times was you could greet one another with a holy kiss. And I believe that the apostles many times when they would come together would, would greet one another, hug one another, maybe a little kiss on the cheek or something. Jesus allowed all this to transpire. He didn't see Judas way off and said, get away, I'll come. He never, when Judas got close to him, said, you just step aside, don't touch me, you betrayer. It says that Judas actually came close to him and said, Rabbi. The word Rabbi is teacher. He's still calling him teacher. Teacher. And it says that he gave him a kiss. Sometimes we hear that statement about the kiss of death. This is where it originates from. But Jesus, Judas did this as a betrayal, but the Lord allowed Judas that moment, that embrace. See, I believe when you get close enough to somebody to, to hug them and you're looking them in the eyes, there's something that happens. Whatever was going on, Judas was looking at the Lord in the eyes as this happened and he gave him the kiss and then all of a sudden Judas I think begins to realize the reality of his decision isn't that just like us in our life many times we don't understand the consequences or the reality of our decision until after we've made it until after we followed through somewhere in our minds we say well everything's going to work out okay well this isn't that bad it will work out fine and then all of a sudden things start falling apart and we're sort of set back. In order to give somebody a kiss on the cheek, you're close. And you're looking at them. And you're holding them. It says, then the others grabbed Jesus and they arrested him. One of the accounts in Luke 22, 48 says, but Jesus said to him, said to Judas, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? See, again, in, in biblical times, when we talk about that affectionate hug or that kiss or whatever, it was something that was done between believers, between brothers, between those of the faith. It, was, it wasn't something that was just done lightly to anybody on the street. It was like your family. 
You're part of me. I'm part of you. Judas was a disciple of Jesus, which means student. That's why he kept calling him teachers. But the answer was yes. He betrayed him with a kiss. What do we betray Jesus with? See, we need to think of that in our lives as we want to grow in our faith, as we want God to do things, as we want God to restore us or heal us from, from hurts or decisions that we've made in the past. We need to ask ourselves sometimes, Lord, Lord, what is it that I have betrayed you with? Have I betrayed you with a decision? Have I betrayed you with, again, a priority, a choice? Have I denied you somewhere where I should be proclaiming you? We don't always think of that. And we can look at Judas and find all the fault in the world with him. Because as we look at this unfolding, we say, well, he's the one that, you know, got Jesus crucified. The truth is, is that we are the ones that got Jesus crucified. He didn't go to the cross just to die for Judas's sins. He went to the cross to die for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world. We are the ones that put Jesus upon that cross. If Judas hadn't betrayed him, there would have been somebody else in there that would have betrayed him because it was what had to be done. And so we can easily sit back and try to point fingers and say, well, because of this or because of that. No, it's because of us. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son knowing that Jesus was going to go to the cross and was going to die for you and I. And yet while we were still in our sin, Jesus died for us. It's easy sometimes to point. As we continue in Matthew, it tells us this. And as they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor, then when Jesus, his then when Judas, excuse me, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. The consequence for sin sometimes. We don't always see that in our lives. We live in a, a, a part of the world, in a society, in a culture right now where we are, we are very blessed. Even those that don't have much in the world today, in our society, still have more than most the world has. We've been blessed over and over and over. And so we just sort of go along our life thinking, ah, it's going to be okay. God will understand. He doesn't care. But when the hammer comes down and things change and there's consequences to pay, then all of a sudden our eyes are opened. You know, I've been at, at Stanley Prison 16, 17 years now. we got over 1,500 men there. And there's 50, 60, 70, 80 that leave every week and we get... 50, 60, 70, 80 new ones in there. Probably in the 16 years or 17 years that I've been there, there's been thousands of men that have gone through. And I can't tell you how many of them I've talked to that they would have said, if I knew this was going to happen, 
I would have done something different. The Lord gives us the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our souls to open our eyes. That we know what we should do and follow Him. Hindsight, they always say, is 2020. When we look back, man, I wish I would have done things different. But we have the ability today, for the most part, to look ahead and to make good choices, to make right choices, to make righteous choices, to follow God. When Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, that tells me in a, in a way that maybe Judas thought this really wasn't going to come to happen. That everything was going to work out okay. But now they see him bound, Jesus, and they see him leading him away. And he knows that the crucifixion is going to happen. And that Jesus is going to be put to death in the flesh. It says he changed his mind. And in order to try to clear his conscience, what does he do? He goes back to the, to the religious people who had hired him. It says, take this money back. Like somehow that was going to undo the deed. Or, or take this money back and, and so I don't feel guilty anymore. But the deed had been done. He says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. It's amazing how Judas's eyes were opened at that time that Jesus was innocent of all these things. And that he had just led an innocent, innocent man into betrayal. The Son of God. And what did the religious people say? What is that to us? We got what we wanted. You were a pawn in our game. We've accomplished what we've set out to accomplish. Go your way. This is none of our concern. You understand that the devil likes to use us like that, like pawns in his game? Have you ever met people in the world that, that use people and just discard them off to the side? They'll, they'll use you for what you, they can get from you and, and then when you no longer are of any benefit to them, you, you're pushed away. That's exactly what these religious people did with Pilate. He couldn't make his soul clean by giving them back their 30 pieces of silver. But he understood that he had betrayed innocence. He understood that he betrayed the Son of God. And they tell him, what is this to us? See to it yourself. Go do whatever you can do because there's nothing more we can do for you. And it says he threw down these pieces of silver into the temple. He departed. And when he went, he went and hung himself. He killed himself. It's amazing what guilt can drive us to. What burden can drive us to. What the weight of sin can drive us to. That's why we speak the good news. That's why we speak hope to people. Because there are hopeless people that are out there. There are people that are weighted down with the sins of the world. With choices they have made. And they come and they say... Why would God love me? I've done this and this and this and they got their laundry list. But don't we all? Don't we all have that list? And Jesus says that we can take on his yoke because his yoke is light. And it's not burdensome. We can come to him because he calls us and we can receive forgiveness of our past. 
There still may be consequences for it, but we can have that burden lifted from us. The question always comes is, could have Judas sought forgiveness from the Lord? Could he have repented of that? Maybe he did. The scriptures doesn't say. There are some that feel that he's gone to hell. There are some that feel that this was an act of repentance. We're not sure. Only God knows for sure. But we can know in our life. If we are carrying that burden of sin, if we are carrying guilt for unrepented sin, we know that God says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins when we repent of those sins. And that's not just being sorry because we got caught at something, but that's a change of heart, it's a change of mind, it's a change of direction. Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, whatever you have, I want. Am I going to fail if that's my attitude? Yes. I'll still stumble, I'll still fall, I'll still fail. But God is faithful and just. And if my heart is bent upon following him, and if my heart is, is seeking after him, he said that of David. And I know David gets used a lot, but he said that of David, a man who committed murder, committed adultery, had, had done all sorts of vile things. But God said, there's a man after my own heart. God's understood that David's heart was after him and David would repent. If you read through the Psalms, you see that, that David would repent. He understood the worthlessness of himself. But that the value that was found in being a child of God. Jesus tells us that our value is not in and that of ourself. But our value is in him. And so we walk in him. We are grafted into the vine. We are adopted. We are heirs. He's gone to prepare a place for us. He holds us in his hand. He wraps us with that love. He says we come to him and call him Abba. Which means daddy. He says these are my children. He says I am a friend that is closer than a brother. He has all sorts of these things just waiting for us. And so when I look at the Lord's table, I see all this bound up in Jesus and him telling us this is also how we treat others. It's how Jesus treats us. He doesn't push us away from the table. He doesn't say, stay back till you get it right. We are sitting there eating with him, drinking with him, fellowshipping with him. And he says, I got a new plan for you. He lets us get intimate with him even though we don't have it all right. And he tells us to do the same with others. Listen, there's others that have hurt you. There's others that have pushed you away. There's others that have betrayed you. But there's forgiveness found at the cross of Jesus. And that's where we need to be. That's the whole purpose of the Lord's table. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. He came into the third cup, the cup of the blessing. He says, I want to bless you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I was born, that I walked amongst you, that I am the Son and the one and only Son of God that came down to this earth. Remember that I went to the cross and freely and willingly died upon that cross, shedding my blood, but also remember that I was raised in the third day and that I will come again for you because that's the love that I have. That's the meaning, I think the ultimate meaning really, of the Lord's table. 
when we come together and we sup and we drink, it's not just taking this and taking that because everybody else is or taking it lightly, but it's examining ourselves. Lord, if there be any evil way in me, if there be any fault in my thoughts, if there be anything that you need to deal with, Lord, I give those things to you. Cleanse me. Make me clean. And he does. He says he washes us in his blood, which makes us white as snow. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for examples that we can grasp and take and, and hold on to. We thank you for your great love for us. One of the, the songs that we sang during praise time was, Not I, but Christ in me. That's our power, that's our victory, that's our substance. That's the only thing that is going to make any difference, Lord is that Christ is in us, our hope of glory. Lord, we know, as the scripture says, and we've probably heard it hundreds and hundreds of times, there's none righteous, not one. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But in Jesus, there's forgiveness. In Jesus, there is hope. In Jesus, there is grace and in Jesus there is mercy. You are the answer for all the things that we need. Help us, Lord, to turn towards you, to seek what you have. If we hear your voice, may we say, yes, Lord, here am I. Yes, Lord, what do you need? I can do all things, Philippians says, through Christ who strengthens me. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Amen. Amen.